Oh, I've seen some scripts I know the words weren't spelled right. There was hardly any commas in it at all. So I don't think that's too important. Hey, you want to get on the train here or you want to ruin another take, huh? It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie here, not a film. Man, I don't drop character till I've done a DVD commentary. You want to eat the writer? Be my guest. That will leave you to explain how else your character is supposed to get to Bremen. Welcome back to another episode of the In the Mouth of Dorkness Chatcast. I am your host, Billy Das, the Indie Dork. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Brad Gullickson. Mouth Dork, how are you today, sir? I'm great. I'm back. You're back! Boy, let me tell you what. Last week was a doozy. You did fine. I, oh, fine. Damned with faint praise. <laughs> you were okay. I was a... Okay. No, no, you were great. You were great. I really enjoyed that uh, conversation, and I'm really excited about Riot Girls. I can't wait to see it. Uh, the, uh, the movie's a lot of fun, and uh, to be honest, um, Yvanka and Monroe were just joys to talk with. But yes, now that you're back, yeah, we're here today yeah. to talk about a movie called Freaks yes. that was co-directed and co-written by Zach Lepofsky and Adam B. Stein. That's true. And let's be real, you pretty much take over this interview as well. Uh, look, I got on my own and had to do something by myself went and I power. went, yeah, totally mad with power. It's not true. Not true. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, Don't yeah. tell me what I am. I just, you know, I just, I just, I just wanted to talk comic books. <laughs> but we do get to we talk do. comic we books. We do. We do talk comic books. So, uh, okay. So Freaks. Yes. Uh, so Freaks is, uh, so, uh, how would you describe Freaks? I, it is the independent film version of the X-Men. Love it. The end, except, well, I won't say except because we'll let the directors say the except. The except. Yeah, sure, yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. But it's 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 sort of in the vein of films like Slight and mm-hmm. Fast Color, mm-hmm. movies that are taking comic book ideas, mm-hmm. which have now become mega blockbuster franchise ideas. They're everywhere. And returning a little bit of that... Um, well, I was going to say character, but I don't want to slight the Marvel movies. You know, I love the Marvel <laughs> movies. I think there's lots of character in the Marvel movies. But they're bringing a little more maybe real world sure. quality to the comic book environment. I think Marvel's doing a very specific thing, and uh, we all love it. It's it's made $100 billion or whatever it is that they've made at this point because it's great. Um, but I think what movies like Freaks do is it gives you a chance to remember that there is a lot more to the superhero universe that you can do with it. And there are um, interesting and different stories to tell. Uh, so the movie stars Emil Hirsch and... Um, Bruce Dern! Bruce Dern! Um, who's, they're both great in it. Uh, and it also stars uh, Lexi Kolker as Chloe. And, you know, uh, Emil Hirsch and Lexi have, uh, their characters have a really interesting on-screen relationship. I mean, the entire first half of the movie, you are not sure what kind of environment she's being raised in. It's upsetting. Yeah. And I think we should just leave it at that. I think so, too. (laughs) And get right into this conversation, Billy. All right. Yeah. So let's uh, throw it over to the conversation. And we'll meet you back on the other side. Yeah. Cut my yeah. (laughs) I won't. All right, and we're here with the co-directors and co-writers of Freaks, Adam B. Stein and Zach Lepofsky. Welcome along to the podcast, fellas. Thank you so much. This is, this is 
awesome chat with you guys. Yeah, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time. You know, Brad and I have had a chance to look at the movie, and I I think our conversation after the fact was just sort of us reminiscing about our childhood and and, uh, adulthood affection for comic books and comic book stories, and sort of the joy that we've taken looking at um, sort of like indie film takes on that comic book superhero universe. And so we were kind of wondering, are you guys comic book kids yourselves, uh, or how did you come to this story? Absolutely. I mean, both comic book kids um, growing up and, you know, huge fans of sci-fi as a, as a movie genre. Um, we came to this approach because, you know, as much as we, we go check out all the latest, you know, big tentpole releases in the sci-fi and, and, and superhero and, and horror realms, we sometimes are kind of disappointed or, or feel like there's something lost in the glossy... Um, glossy depictions of all that stuff and, and the sort of predictability of it. And we just felt like, oh man, what if we could tell like a really gritty, grungy version that gets really deep emotionally and really, you know, really kind of real in the characters. Um, and in particular, what if we could tell a story from the perspective of a kid uh, who's in a sci-fi world who doesn't know how to make sense of it and you're making sense of it along with her. That was kind of the initial inspiration for it. Another another inspiration was the idea of a world with superpowers but no superheroes. Mm. Um, basically, this idea that you know we heard this podcast that This American Life did, and they talked about they asked people what what they would do if they had powers. You know, and people said, "Oh, if I could fly, I'd go to Paris, and if I could turn invisible, I would spy on my ex-wife." Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that, and nobody said they would go fight crime or help people. And so we kind of took that idea of like, yeah, like people would just use their powers for themselves, and if they did that, society would start hating them, basically, and would start making it illegal, and would start trying to stop them yeah, from doing in this, it. In this world, there's no Professor X, there's no X Men, there's no you know people who have put on costumes and give themselves nicknames. There's also no Magneto. It's just, it's just yeah. people never trying to save the world, never trying to take over the world, <laughs> just trying to kind of get by. And, and it's getting harder and harder as the days go by. Well, I think that's one of the coolest things, I mean, about genre film in general, but also comic books, is that you you get a chance to create this sort of un, unreal super universe um, that is sort of outside of expectations, but really all it is is a way to explore people's humanity and the things that challenge them and how they respond. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, what, that's what's so great about sci-fi in general. You know, it, it's always about our world, even, that, even if it's on, you know, the future planet. It's always a, a, a kind of lens where you can see our world in a different way. And, and that's what really excites us. But then you go and, you know, to, to your point, make the center character of the story a, a child. And then the challenges of finding the right actor for that role. Can you talk a little bit about casting Lexi in the role of Chloe? Yeah, it's a pretty special role. I mean, when people go into the movie, they usually watch it because they hear the genre or they hear Bruce Dern or Neil Hirsch is in it. And when they come out of the movie, the only thing they talk about is Lexi (laughs) Kohler. She's like this amazing powerhouse performance. And we're very lucky we found her because we we were pretty stupid for writing a script that stars a seven-year-old in every (laughs) single film. And, you know, we basically put all our eggs in that basket. And if we didn't find her, we'd be screwed. 
And luckily, you know, we did, we auditioned, you know, 1,200 kids and we, we auditioned in a very different way because we knew we wanted the movie to come off as very authentic and real. Um, almost like movies like Room or Beast of the Southern mm-hmm. Wild. We wanted it to feel like, like you were almost watching a documentary. So we auditioned in a different way where we relied heavily on, on improv and talking to them about their real lives and getting them to tell us about emotions they felt in their real lives and, and, and kind of throughout the script and just, got them to be themselves and, and find out what makes them upset and then bring, bring those emotions to the material. And, and Lexi was, was by far the best who was able to not only just tap into that emotion and, and just scream and cry and be absolutely fierce and crazy, but also as soon as we were done and we'd call cut, she'd go back to being a bubbly, happy little Mm -hmm. girl and, and had the maturity to kind of go back and forth, which is important when you're making like an R rated thriller. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You need someone who can, you know, both get there emotionally, but also stay a stay a healthy human being. And the funny thing is, when we play the movie with audiences afterwards, we do Q and A's, and and when she's there, everyone loves her, and she's so adorable, and she gives great questions and answers. And when she's not there, the first question is always, "Is that girl okay? Like, what did you guys do? To, you guys must have screwed her up, and she's in therapy now, right? But she's the most charming, like, adorable. Well, now she's ten. She was she was seven and eight when we filmed. That's, That's how long ago we uh, made this movie. Um, but yeah, she's incredible. She's a future superstar. I mean, we just know she's going to be winning Oscars, you know, in a, in a few years. Um, even just like while we were filming, you know, the stuff she would do on set that's that's in the movie, we were just like, oh, I can't believe we're capturing this right now. Um, you know, just tears and 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 explosive anger. And that was kind of one of the other things that inspired us. You know, I, I'm a dad, and I, we started writing it when my son was five. Mm-hmm. And I think something that people kind of don't realize or don't talk about is how emotional kids are. You know, how fierce they can be, how how deep they can be. Um, and you don't see that a lot. You see, you know, a lot of kind of superficial kid performances or, or even sort of um, uh, kind of one note you know, serious kid performances maybe, but the sort of um, ping-ponging of, of, of huge emotion really inspired us. And we wanted to kind of, we were lucky to find Lexi who had such a raw kind of emotional quality that could capture that. Um, how did you change your approach or did you alter your approach as directors when you're kind of working with her on a set? I mean, you know, part of directors' jobs is to extract the performances that they need for the story that they want to tell. Um, but it's also to keep a safe space for, right, for their actors to work. Did you find that you had to work with Lexi differently than you did with Emil or Bruce or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, first of all, we we really took that approach that we did in the auditions of making, finding what the nugget of the scene is that she could relate to in her life, whether it was, you know, the desire to, to go to sleepover or the the feeling in that one scene of with the kids from across the street of like wanting to be accepted by, by your peers. These are things that, you know, all kids can relate to. And we just talked with her about her life, you know, and, and kids, and she was very willing to share and, you know, she had to go to the deep emotional places, but the rest of the set was super fun. Like she would get piggyback rides around the set from our costume and makeup people because she's wearing uh, socks every day. She never wears mm-hmm. shoes in the movie. So 
So like they gave her piggyback rides everywhere and they would like braid each other's hair. And like for her, it was like the best summer camp ever. Yeah, someone's brain just splattered on that wall, but just don't pay <laughs> um, But it was like, I think she kind of, she got a kick out of the, the like seeing behind the scenes of that stuff. Like she drew a bunch of the creepy pictures that are on her wall. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. And um, so she, her, her older sister's an actress too. And her older sister came to set and, you know, between each take, like her older sister would be like, oh my God, Alexi, that was amazing. Oh, kiss, kiss. You know, and they would just like, <laughs> they would play patty cake with the crew and stuff. And like, yeah, it was the, the reality of making the film is so different from the film. It's, it's kind of funny to think about. So, you know, like when I'm watching it, I am thinking of her as an actor. And I, I feel like your movie would be a ton of fun to participate in as uh, a, a, a fan of this genre. And I can imagine her really getting into, especially like the climactic moments where she's controlling people and, and, and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Early on, there was that poker scene where she plays poker with her dad. Mm-hmm. And that, I think we shot that on the first or second day. And at one point we said, okay, like, do you know what po- a poker face means? And she had never heard of that. So we kind of taught her what a poker face was. She had the most amazing poker face. Like every time it was just, so like fascinating to watch. She just like wiped emotion off her face like that. And it was kind of like scary to look at. And every time then later on, when she's about to kill someone, we just said, Lexi poker face. Oh. She would like <laughs> tap into this like intense blank gaze. That was so like creepy. Um, that was one of the, <laughs> one of the little tools we used. And the relationship that she has with Emil, I mean, that's, that's one of like the big surprises of the movie is how the audience feels about his character and about their relationship over the course of it. How did you foster their time together to, to get, to get that love? Yeah. I mean, we did a lot with them hanging out before the movie and that type of stuff. And we really wanted to like went to the zoo (laughs) Lexi and and Emil and Lexi's mom went to the zoo together. And so, I mean, that was a really big decision early on when we wrote the script was, we knew we weren't going to have a lot of money, so we had to try and invest as much as we could to make these characters as interesting as possible so that actors would want to play them. And give. we wanted to make sure no actor had a role that was all good or all, all bad because that's also sort of something that superhero movies do a lot is just like you just got villains and heroes and it just isn't – life isn't like that. People – everyone's screwed up. Everyone's trying to do good for their own reasons but making mistakes and – and parenthood is like that. And that's something we felt like we hadn't seen a lot in movies is not the abusive, terrible parent and not the angelic, awesome parent, but something that's in between, you know, someone who loses their temper, but then regrets that they did and is trying their best to protect someone they love, but is going too far. And, you know, is that messiness was really interesting to us. And Emil was a new father himself and had never played a father before. And he was really eager and could immediately relate to that type of messiness. Um, and we wanted to kind of bring that to life. And he was such, he was so nurturing towards Lexi and very protective of her on set. And he was also a huge mentor. You know, he's one of the best actors alive, I think. And seeing him work with her, sometimes you would just let the cameras roll for half an hour on just the two of them going back and forth. Hmm. And we would give very little direction because as soon as we would give direction, it's coming from outside of the scene. And he was very aware of sort of what emotions she needed to get to or what line readings we were hoping to get. And so we often, we would give Emil direction before a scene to give to Lexi. 
that he could give it to her in the moment so that she's locked in there with him and, and they were scene partners, you know, and, and it really comes through in the movie. So speaking of um, sort of onset direction and the way that you guys are interacting with them, you know, um, the we've interviewed a few co-directors uh, before. I'm a little bit curious, uh, you know, how as co-writers and co-directors, you guys are, are clearly both equally invested in this project and it's going on. Um, how do you divide up the onset work responsibilities? Yeah, um, I'd be very curious how uh, <laughs> other people do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's why we asked the question, yeah. Yeah, I got to go back uh, in, into your archives and, and, and listen for that. Um, basically, I do everything. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, sort of, we sort of figured it out as we've gone. There's been a lot of like great um, learning and improvement as we've gone. Basically, we um, you know we all we both share everything um, together, but we uh, try hard to only have one of us be the voice on set in, mm-hmm. in any given scene, so that. Um, the crew doesn't get confused or get mixed messages. One of us will usually be right next to the camera, next to the actors, and that will be the person for that scene who's, you know, quote-unquote, giving all the direction. Mm -hmm. And then the other one of us will be by the monitor getting that global view that you don't really get when you're you're nitty-gritty down next to the actors. And we'll kind of scurry forward and whisper in the in the first person's ear, oh my gosh, we got to do that again. Like the camera missed that moment, and it's kind of like a directing superpower because you've got two sets mm-hmm. of eyes. We both know exactly what we're trying to get out of the scene because by the time we get to set, we've discussed it an infinite number of times, uh, and and then you know we get to have those two pairs of eyes. But there are some moments where we disagree, also where in the moment. It's like, oh my God, you were seeing it that way? I was seeing it this way. Like, let's scurry over into this corner and discuss it and figure out how to solve this. And that's another superpower because usually when we're disagreeing, it's because something's broken that that we didn't realize. And we get to like brainstorm a solution very quickly that that is a third way of doing it that is better than what either of us came up with on our own. So if there had only been one of us, we would have done it wrong. Mm. <laughs> and we get to kind of like have a problem solving partner when problems come up. I think that's an interesting take. I, I like the idea of thinking about it as a directing superpower. Uh, that's a good fit for the movie we're talking about. And um, it is not a way that I've heard that described before. I like that very much. Uh, I think that we're kind of coming up on the end of our time here. So I wanted to pitch you guys a question that we tend to ask everybody that comes through. You know, we know that making movies is extremely hard, especially independent films, and that it's easy to feel quite lowly. So we like to end on a positive note. You know, is there a single moment that you look back at in your careers that makes you appreciative uh, or buoys you through tough times that kind of gives you the motivation that you need to push on through? Yeah, I mean, on this one, I think the most appreciative moments have really been seeing it with an audience in a theater. Because we, you know, when you write a movie in a coffee shop, you just hope that at some point you shoot the movie. You don't even really think about the audience. You just think, man, can we ever actually shoot this thing? And then when you shoot the thing, you think, okay, we've made it, but probably no one's ever going to see it. Like, maybe we'll get into a film festival or something. And then, you know, we had our world premiere at the Toronto Film Festival on Saturday night, and which is basically, you know, one of the best film festivals in the world. And yep. they filled one of their biggest theaters with like, where like all these people we've never met that have come to see the movie. And it, and it brings you to tears because it's like having people not only like line up for a movie 
like often when we go to film festivals, we've been to 40 film festivals now with this film. And you're in, you're in Italy and there's 700 Italians lining up at a 600 year old theater, all having like taken time out of their day and gotten babysitters and stuff to see your movie. You're so grateful and thankful that, that they care. And then when they come up to you afterwards and, and talk about sort of how the movie affected them or what it meant to them and, and how much they enjoyed it. It's, it's, it's really overwhelming because you, you just assume you're going to be this a lonely filmmaker making stuff for yourself hmm. <laughs> that no one will ever care about. Um, and to hear people <laughs> sort of affected by your work is uh, incredibly powerful. And, and, you know, it's funny whenever we screen the movie, they always ask us, are you going to sit through the screening? Which makes me realize that most directors don't. <laughs> They're always surprised <laughs> when we say that we want to, but we sit through every screening because we're just so grateful that, you know, who knows when we'll ever have another chance to have a room full of people wanting to see something that we created. Awesome. Um, yeah. All right. Is that the, is that going to be the voice that speaks for the duo? I, I, I can't top that answer. <laughs> no, it was a solid answer. I wouldn't want to follow it either. Um, I loved it. That was great. So can people find you on the social medias and when does the movie go wide? Yeah. The movie is at um, freaks the film on Twitter and Instagram. The movie comes out September 13th. That's uh, Friday the 13th. If, if anyone wants to support, you know, unique indie films getting into theaters, now's your chance. Yeah, Friday the 13th is super important. You know, the more that people that can show up on that one day really helps propel the whole movie. So tell everyone you know. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, guys, this was a great conversation. Thanks so much for your time. I really appreciated having you along for the podcast. Thanks. Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate it. All right. Have a good night. And we're back. Uh, what a great conversation. Those guys were great. A ton of fun. I really, really wish we had more time with them. It's a crime that we only had 20 minutes. I wanted to get into the thick of Marvel Comics with them. I, I mean, th that was the first thing I think that you said immediately when we were done is I wanted an hour with these guys. And so, look, sometimes you don't get an hour with them. Uh, they're in a busy day. They got all sorts of press going on. Hey, I'm not taking a dump on them. I really appreciate their time. I really, really do. It's just... You know, they're, I want to talk invisibility powers. I want to talk uh, super flight. I want to talk, you know, time stopping mm -hmm. powers and telekinesis. Give me all that stuff. I want to talk all about that. But I also think at the heart of this film is truly the performance of Lexi Kolker. Uh, without a doubt. I, which I think is a, a, a surprising place to find yourself in because, I mean, uh, you know, he they said that they think Emil Hirsch is one of the greatest actors working today. I, I think that he is definitely a man with quite a bit of acting talent in his possession. And Bruce Dern. Uh, Legend. Right. And Lexi steals this movie from them. I think she's got a really great part, but she goes the distance with it. And it's phenomenal. Phenomenal yeah. acting. Oh, and to their point, you know, that is something that is very dangerous and tricky to saddle your movie with. Yeah. Uh, you know, seven or eight-year-old actor. <laughs> uh, but at no time do you feel the... Uh, falseness of a child's performance. It's genuine. No, no, she does a great job. Um, but I mean, that was the part that got me. When when you say, hey, well, I've got this indie movie, uh, we're going to make it, it's going to have kind of this superhero angle to it, but it's going to star a seven-year-old, I'm thinking, what are you doing? I mean, that's a brash, that's a brash choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, oh my gosh, it pays off. It pays and, off. And what I really love about Freaks, without spoiling the film sure, let's for not. our yeah. audience members, is that 
it offers a comic book concept and it delivers on that comic book concept. It's not here to take you to the edge and stop. It goes and then Superman jumps off, flies away into the stratosphere. Um, but you said, I mean, you listed some movies at the outset, like, um, slight, what, yeah, slight, fast color, fast color, fast color is a good, that's a good example too. Uh, I just like, I think that it, we've reached this interesting spot where all, all of a sudden, and it's not all of a sudden because it's been the last 15 years that this has been developing. Uh, but 1998 Super- was blade. You know, I, I, I know blade kicked it all off. Yeah. You and I agree about that. That's, I mean, technically I, I, I may even okay. argue for men in black. It was also a comic book movie. It was a year before blade. I have heard you say that. And your point is valid. I disagree. I, I mean, I think I disagree with myself. I just like bringing up Men in Black as a comic book movie because people forget about it. No, they do. And they shouldn't forget about it. But like, I think we've reached this point where like the idea of a comic book movie is something that you don't have to convince anybody has value anymore. People kind of get how those work. And we've reached a space where you can tell um, offbeat or different well, approach Well, you need more flavors, right? And I exactly. think even exactly. the MCU understands that at this point is that they're having to venture off into different genres within the style of superhero storytelling that mm. they're offering. Um, but you know it's it's like you know it's like westerns or crime or uh, dramas. I mean there's various flavors of all those genres mm-hmm. and they need to be explored. They can't all just be the same tone. Mm-hmm. What's the what's the best western movie you can think of? You're a western fan, right? Yeah. What's the best western movie you can think of that stars or at least co-stars a young actor. Well, I mean, I think of a classic one like Shane. Yep. Yep. Um, but you know, that's a style of performance that, you know, is maybe also a bit dated, but I think is <laughs> very strong. Uh, I also think about, um, Oh gosh, the, sh- uh, not the shootest, uh, true grit, the true grit, recent that, true grit. Yeah. That's a good the, pick. Not the John Wayne one. I yeah. do not like the John Wayne one, but Haley no, Steinfeld in is the Coen amazing yeah, in yeah, that movie. Yeah. And she's turned into a phenomenal talent. Yep. And, Boy, I hope they keep giving her roles. Yeah. And even the Transformers films know that they need new flavors <laughs> with Bumblebee. I think we've gone off track a little bit, but the general idea is we've reached a point of, you know, 20 plus years of comic book movies. We are hungering for a variety. Yeah. I so I mean I this is this is the kind of thing that I like to see independent cinema do where they get a chance to play at the fringes of what's going on and explore some territory that's not fully trod. Um, as you heard them say in the interview, the movie comes out uh, September the thirteenth this Friday, the same day as Depraved by Larry Fessenden. Also the same day as Riot Girls. See you guys. We love all three of those. We movies. love all three of those movies. You've got your weekend set, yeah. okay? So go support these movies in theaters or rent them. Triple uh, feature. You can see them. Yeah, I, I, I think they'd be a great I think they all work actually. together well. Actually, well, I haven't other- seen Riot Girls, but I think Depraved and uh, Freaks, uh, th- there is actually some commonality between the two. Uh, there's some commonality between the three. I mean, Riot Girls is a movie about um, the, where all the adults have died and the youth of the world are running this kind of small town in a, like a divided gang-like scenario. Um, there's actually a lot of overlap between these movies. This wouldn't be a bad triple feature. I recommend uh, maybe taking that approach. Let's get Andy Garrison on the horn at Alamo Drafthouse of Winchester. Low-key last weekend. Yeah. Do some programming. Um, enjoy some independent cinema. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Where are we at in the conversation now? Uh, now I think we wind down. Okay. And you say some things about <laughs> uh, where you can find our other dorks and, sh- and, and shit. 
Okay. I can do that. Okay. So we've reached the closing business. As I said last week, I am not ever too sure what the script is for the closeout because I entrust you to do all of these things. You are the keeper of knowledge. You are the keeper of schedules and you are the understander of things yeah, that are but going Billy, on. You set up all these Fantasia Fest interviews and you deserve to close us out and intro us. I did set them up. That doesn't mean I understand what's happening around me, but you can find us, the podcast in the mouth of darkness uh, at itmodcast on Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash itmodcast. Um, you can follow me at WB Das on Instagram, letterboxd and Twitter. You went to you first. I did. I did. Selfish. Uh, well, that's, I'm following the pattern from last week. <laughs> it's one pattern strong. <laughs> Where can people find you, Brad? Uh, you can find me on all social medias at MouthDork, uh, including Untapped. I'm thinking about Cameo. Wesley yes. Snipes is on Cameo. Oh. I don't know what Cameo is, I actually. don't really understand either. I just know that Wesley Snipes is on Cameo because I saw okay. his little video. So if I get on Cameo, will I meet Wesley Snipes and interact with him? How does social media work I on that? I think the way Cameo works, this is... I'm probably going to have to delete all of this, but I think the way Cameo works is like you pay celebrities to wish you happy birthday and stuff. Shut up. I think so. Fuck off. I'm signing up right now. <laughs> I don't know. I'm so old. I'm turning 40, guys. I don't understand. Oh, yeah. That's right around the corner for you. So Brad's turning 40. Yep. And uh, In the Mouth of Darkness is sponsoring a showing of, speaking of Wesley Snipes. That's right. Blade. Yeah. At the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia. Uh, not just for Brad's birthday, but also for Brad's birthday. Uh, I think you think of this as a birthday o'clock, treat. August 18th. Come celebrate my birthday. I've been told there will be Blade-themed cupcakes. Oh, mm-hmm. I did not know that was going to be a thing. I'm not 100% sure. I uh, was sharing access with my wife's email, <laughs> and an email came through, and that was spoiled for me. But I believe, yes, there will be Blade-themed cupcakes. Okay, all right. So Brad spies on his wife's email, uh, uh, no, and there'll be cupcakes at we the We had to share it Blade. for business reasons. I can't get into it at the moment. Uh, but you should follow my wife. Uh, at Sidewalk Siren Yes On Twitter Yes Also at Bake Dork on Twitter Yeah yeah. And you can follow uh, Brian Young At the Turtle Dork on Twitter At the Turtle Dork 1 on Instagram And at Brian B. Young on Facebook And you can follow Darren Smith At the Disco Dork on all social medias Yeah I've missed you Billy It's good to be back It's been like three weeks I know It's been a while You went to Comic Con It was great And on family vacation You got yeah. to go all over this place And have all these wonderful times Yep uh, and I hung out at my house with my family. Cool. That's cool, pretty cool, good, cool, too. Cool, cool. <laughs> they seem like nice people. Uh, I like them all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel pretty solid with my life choices. This episode's awesome. It's taking some turns. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we get out of here? Let's get out of here. Uh, so I think that'll do it for us this time. Until next time. Take care. Bye. Visions are worth fighting for. Why spend your life making someone else's dreams? I am uh, testing out my microphone now. Hello, sir. Hello. Hello. How are you today, sir? I'm wonderful. Would you like to record a podcast with me? I would very much like to report report a podcast with you. You are not ready. Herbert <laughs>